Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Lady Chatterley's Lover. Lady Chatterley's Lover was written by D.H. Lawrence and was published in 1928 and 1929. And the film adaptation that we're discussing this episode that came out on Netflix uh, was released in 2022 and was directed by Laure de Clermont-Tonnerre. Nice. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm still butchering it, but I said it as if I knew yes. how to pronounce the it. The confidence. Yes. And the slurring together. The and, key to French. <laughs> <laughs> and nothing sells it like saying how good you did yes. afterwards. Right after. Yeah. yeah. It's great. <laughs> I watched a video right before recording this of her pronouncing it, and I just sat there like miming the way she was saying it for like five minutes straight. And then I opened up my notes and I was like, oh, I forget what she said. <laughs> but we're discussing uh, a legendary book this episode, mm-hmm. uh, a recent steamy Netflix adaptation of it. Yes. There, there's so much to dive into. It's so classic and yet so current at yes. the same time. And so saucy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, first up, I'd like to talk a little bit about the history of Lady Chatterley's Lover. And some of you listeners might know some of this history. Some of you maybe have never heard of it. But, you know, when I said it was published in 1928 and 29, it was, but it was published like kind of in a self-published way, in a Mm. limited way, in Italy first and then in France. I see. And it was totally banned in the UK and the US. Interesting. Yeah. um, Mostly because of the swearing. Okay, not even like the subject matter. I mean... The subject matter for sure, but I think something that jumps out at you immediately if you're a publisher is the swearing, right? Yeah, Um, yeah. And obscenity laws at the time were really strict. And, you know, Ian and I on the podcast in the past have sometimes referenced the... um, Hayes Code? The Hayes Code. Yeah. Um, And the UK had its own version... I see. ...of that at the time. Um, well, it's, with- good, it's good to know America isn't alone in its history of uh, <laughs> censorship. censorship and art. For sure. And actually, what's interesting is, so D.H. Lawrence refused to have it censored in order to publish it. Okay. So he like kind of self-published or limited, limitedly published in Italy and Paris. But it was a run of like maybe 200 to 1,000 copies, like very small. And then was not able to get it published in the U.K., but um, there were bootlegs. Ah, interesting. And then D.H. Lawrence actually died not too long after publishing this book or, like, writing it. And then his wife, a few years later, I don't know if she needed money or if she just, her principles weren't as strong as his, but she <laughs> agreed to publish it, but a censored version. Oh, inter- okay. So the censored version was the only, like, real legit version you could get. In the UK, I'm not sure if it was available in the US in a censored version. I think it was. Well, I'm curious what censored means. Does that mean that, like, anytime they say fuck, it's just F asterisk asterisk asterisk? I don't know what the censored version yeah. was, but whole scenes 
sex scenes were cut. Oh, okay. That's what I was like wondering. Like, did yeah. they actually alter the text or just bleep stuff? Yeah, they they altered the text for it. But because most people knew it was censored, mm-hmm. so there's this high demand for the bootleg version, right? Mm, that's interesting from a uh, <laughs> publication yeah. standpoint and like generating buzz, and right? And like a black market being kind of out there for the real version of this. I mean, it makes me think of like film, right? Mm-hmm. And people become swept up in almost like the narrative behind a film. Like if yes. you think of Don't Worry Darling, yes. when that came out, like the movie was just kind of fine yeah but the story <laughs> behind it and yes. everything going on and like the publicity and mm-hmm. i think just created a huge amount of interest in it for sure and i think it was the same way with this book and you know then the author dying and then the um censored version being out there but people knowing that it's not like the full version right yeah and so then people want to get the full version but interestingly enough the full version was published in 1959 or 1960 but the UK and the US governments actually went to trial over it. Okay, I read like an allusion to this trial and yeah. everything regarding that. Yeah, interesting because they were like separate trials happening mm-hmm. around the exact same time. But yeah, basically the judges ruled on the side of free speech. Good, um good. but not in the way I feel like <laughs> what I was reading about these cases were that the arguments weren't necessarily like we should be able to read whatever we want. It doesn't matter. But they were more like, this book actually isn't that bad. Like, <laughs> it's not actually um, advocating for immorality. Like, it's yeah. advocating for this couple just wants to be married, actually. Like, yeah, the, it's more traditional than you think. And and the and the swearing is is literary merit. It's for intents and purposes. It's not like. It's not like, oh, this is, we deserve to read whatever we want. It didn't become the focal point of like a social movement advocating no, for But it was kind speech. of part of a, a sexual liberation happening at the time in the late 50s and early 60s. Yeah, I didn't realize it was that much later that the non-censored yes. version came out. Mm-hmm. Which like you said with sexual liberation yeah. uh, and like second wave feminism and stuff. For sure. Apparently there's an allusion in Mad Men to some of the characters reading this like uncensored oh, version. Oh, really? Yeah. I wonder what season that is. I only watched like one and a half. Yeah. I need to watch that again. I need to give it another (laughs) shot. (laughs) But, you know, such a really interesting and complicated publication history and history of censorship wrapped up into that as well. So, yeah, I just I, I like hearing that story. I'm glad that this book was able to be published the way that the author intended. I mean, you think about the rocky history of this story's publication, right? Of it being kind of rejected, it's small limited release, Mm -hmm. then it's censored version, then a high demand for the real version, it going to court, and it finally coming out, right? Yeah. It makes you wonder how many books like this there might be that just kind of get, like, paved over and forgotten about, you know what I mean? Like, was this story coming to its full version in the 60s a sign of its quality or was it kind of just the time or just luck Mm -hmm. you know yeah there's a lot of factors yeah yeah for sure and i mean when the story begins i was immediately like wow this is pretty progressive for the time it was written for sure for sure we're introduced to the main character connie Mm -hmm. and we're kind of given in the book her her background her upbringing she was raised by, uh, you know, her parents and her father was an artist. And she kind of had a very liberal, free. Bohemian. Yes. Uh, childhood and young adulthood. Yeah. She talks about her and her sister having, like, 
Ger- young German lovers <laughs> yes. uh, that they kind of like frolicked through the woods with and just had sex with. And mm-hmm. she kind of does a lot of reflecting on what she learned about sex, what she learned about the dynamics between men and women mm-hmm. at that time in her life, which a lot of it is funny and still rings true, I think, to today. For sure. About, and you know, a lot of this is heteronormative, but like mm-hmm. guys being like really like almost putting like more emphasis on sex than the women do. Yeah. And it being either like, you know, it might be great and then they forget about it or mm-hmm. kind of this like, uh, I don't want to say climax, but critical, (laughs) (laughs) critical point. Right. Yeah. I just thought a lot of the commentary at this part, part of the book was really interesting. Yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of that is youth, right? Yeah. Experimentation. Right. And it, it seems at least for Connie that she was given the space and the freedom to explore sexually Mm -hmm. a little bit, which I think is important. Yeah. And I mean, you always have to remember that. Even though books at the time may not have talked about this and may have acted like yeah. every young woman was like a good girl and, and a virgin and until a virgin. she got married. Yeah, that's not the truth. Like, yeah. Men and women experimented sexually like in their youth for sure. And not that it was all good or that everyone necessarily did it. It's yeah. more common than what you read about, right? Mm-hmm, for sure. Yeah, and Connie eventually meets uh, Clifford, who is, he's a titled landowner, right? So he has a title. I forget what his title is. He's Sir Clifford, but... Yeah. uh, I can never keep that. He's not a duke. Aristocracy straight. There's so many levels (laughs) to it. Well, and he had an older brother. Yes. So he wasn't going to inherit this Mm -hmm. title at first, but his older brother was killed in the war. Yeah. And so then it did fall on him. Yeah. And he and Connie get married during the war. In the movie, we get to see kind of their wedding day, which I think is a really good moment to start us here. I like this introduction a lot. Showing us what they were like before the war has really impacted their lives when they're very young and innocent and in love. And the two of them get married. I love the book kind of talking about how the book gives them a little bit more of a honeymoon than the one night the movie gives them. (laughs) Yeah. But the book describes them being together like they were on a sinking ship. Like clinging to each other yeah. in that way, feeling like the world is literally ending around them with the war going on. Um, so they get this little bit of a honeymoon and then Clifford is sent to war. Well, she also describes that like they had sex and a sexual relationship, but it almost felt secondary to the kind of mental and emotional connection, connection that they had. So the sex almost didn't feel in a way that important at this time. Yeah. So Clifford gets uh, shipped off once again. And unfortunately, he uh, returns home early because he suffers from a, from an attack mm-hmm. and is now paralyzed and confined to a wheelchair. Yes, he's paralyzed from the waist down. And we're told in the book and in the movie that Clifford cannot have children. Yes. So something that I thought about right away reading this and Ian and I were discussing this is, I mean, you know, the two of us, while not having any direct experience with this disability, know that it is possible for a lot of people with disabilities to still have sex. Yeah, I mean, I've heard plenty of stories and personal accounts of people who are confined to wheelchairs being able to have sex. We read and discussed the book Me Before You. Oh, yes. Which is about yes. someone confined to a wheelchair who they have sex, right? 
I can't remember. I, I think that I'm like uh, 90% sure they do in that book. Uh, not that it's a very good book or representation. But, uh, I, I, you know, I knew this was certainly something that a lot of people experience. But then again, spinal cord injuries and just the human body are very complicated. So I'm like, there might be mm-hmm. an injury or circumstance that uh, would make it impossible for someone to have sex And especially given the time period and, you know, probably not even knowing as much about spinal cord injuries back then. Yeah. Or, I mean, the science of sex and what can be done. Well, and also the shell shock, right? That too. The trauma, the PTSD from World War I. I mean, everybody that came back from World War I was severely fucked up, if not physically, then mentally for sure. Yeah, I mean, those factors also have to be accounted for as well. Yeah, I did um, a little bit of research because I was interested in finding out more about this, and I think our listeners will be too, but I researched and found a pretty good source on sexual function for men with a spinal cord injury. And um, they were detailing different types of erections and how they're affected by spinal cord injury. And the first type is uh, psychogenic. This type of erection may come from sights, sounds, or thoughts that are arousing. So it's, you know, stimulus, right? Thinking about stuff Mm -hmm. and getting turned on by that. And basically, this article is saying that a lot of men with a spinal cord injury will find it difficult to get an erection just from uh, psychogenic sources. Yeah. Um, But the second kind is a reflexogenic, which is also called a reflex or spontaneous erection. This type of erection comes from physical touch or stimulation to your penis or genitals. So the article was kind of saying that while it might be difficult to get the psycho erection, that a more physical stimulus erection is possible. They also talked about using things like cock rings, a penis pump. You know, nowadays we have Viagra, but that even just physical stimulation could possibly produce an erection that many men who suffer from different types of spinal cord injuries are still able to get an erection in a different way, right? So I'm wondering, and based on like the information that we learn about Clifford and their relationship, Mm -hmm. if he was just not able to get the psychogenic erection and then kind of didn't want to try anything further. It's interesting because the book, you know, for as open as it is about Connie's sex later on with other characters, it never gets into what the sexual dynamic was with Clifford, especially when they came back. It was simply said he couldn't do it. Yeah. And that was it. And they just left it. Yeah. And there's so many questions, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what was it his experience at war? Was it a physical thing? Was it the fact like, you know, coming back and being that altered physically would be something you'd have to psychologically get over, right? Mm -hmm. But the book doesn't dwell on it at all. I think the movie does a good job of including one scene that I think says a lot where after kind of helping Clifford into his pajamas and Mm -hmm. kind of getting him in bed for the night, Connie gets in bed with him too and begins to, she gets close to him, takes his hand, puts it on herself. Yeah. And Clifford just kind of pulls away and just says, I can't. Yeah. And just says, I won't be able to, like, I still love you. Mm-hmm. But it just shows an unwillingness to try. Yeah. Even just just to purely satisfy her needs, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he's not even interested in doing anything for her if it doesn't benefit him, right? Yeah. And I think 
even though there's still a lot of questions, like, could he have sex? Couldn't he? Mm -hmm. I think you can infer a lot from this scene alone. For sure. Yeah. And I just think that, I mean, I don't think D.H. Lawrence is interested in talking about disability rights and um, making (laughs) sure there's like a a good and positive portrayal of people who suffer from injuries, um, whether they're genetic or something that, you know, happens to you throughout your life. But I wanted to make a point and say, just because you have a spinal cord injury or suffer from any type of paralysis does not mean that you cannot have sex. And I definitely don't want the message of the podcast to be that. And I'm kind of like, it's kind of upsetting that that seems to be the message of this book. Yeah, you know, for, I I think that there's certainly some things that can be said about this story's depiction Mm -hmm. of what it means to be someone who's in a wheelchair or with some kind of physical disability. Uh, It's maybe not as bad as I was thinking it would be. Yeah. Or at least there's some more nuanced, layered elements to the character of Clifford and Mm -hmm. what's going on with Connie and what it has to say about sex as a whole. Yeah. Reading the description, I'm like, uh, is this about a man who is in a wheelchair after being in the war and he's just really upset about it and then his wife cheats on him because he doesn't want to have sex. Yeah. I mean, that kind of describes it, but (laughs) I I would say there's more layers to it than that. For sure. Speaking of layers, I want to mention here, so... We see in the film, and this is another thing I love that the film does, you see Connie taking care of Clifford more. Yeah. And it's not, you know, there's not a lot of this, but you see her kind of changing his clothes. Mm -hmm. You see her trying to help him into the bath and that being kind of a difficult... Because, I mean, she's in this role of nurse now that she's not prepared for, right? Yeah, and she's a young, thin, small woman, too. You know, seeing her try to, like, get him in the bath... It lingers on this. It's not just a quick scene. It's her, like, they're trying to do it. It's very Mm -hmm. difficult for them. You see her, um, because he wants to become a writer. And he's writing stories, short stories, and a novel. And she's, like, typing things for him. Like, he's he's dictating to her. And she's almost like his nurse and his secretary all in one here. Yeah, their dynamic has drastically shifted. And this is one of those things where it's, like, is this just because of his injury or it also feels like maybe it's not and maybe like this would have happened regardless? Yeah, because, you know, they got married when they were, you know, in their 20s and then he went to war and he's he's a titled, you know, nobleman. And so they go back to his like family estate and like, would he have just settled into this role, you know, of kind of very patriarchal, very like noblemen, you know what I mean? Yeah, Very yeah. stereotypical. Uh, I want to mention here, though, that the actor portraying Clifford in the film, Matthew Duckett, uh, has cerebral palsy wow. in real life. Mm-hmm. And I do think mainly gets around by wheelchair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's some, you know, mobility and maybe like the ability to stand, some yeah. things like that. Uh, I, it wasn't totally clear on what I read, like what his mobility was Mm -hmm. but you know i really appreciate this movie getting someone who you know is in that position in real life yeah and you know apparently they had consultation on set Mm. they worked with the lead actress i'm blanking on her name i i know it emma emma corin uh they worked with emma corin on like those scenes when she's helping him into the bath Mm -hmm. making sure like everyone was comfortable and things were good and i think they even worked with uh duckett on how the shots were framed, right? And how he was framed in scenes since he's always in a wheelchair, always like kind of at a lower level than a lot of the other actors. So I just really love to read stories like this about when movies 
are inclusive, right? Yeah. Especially when the stories are about people in similar cir- circumstances, right? Yeah, that's really great to hear. So we said that Clifford was wanting to become a writer, and he gets really interested in this when um, he and Connie go back to his ancestral home called Ragby. And he's writing short stories, he's working on a novel, and he starts like inviting a lot of his writer friends over, too. <laughs> yes. And uh, this was one of the worst parts of the book, Ian. Yes, it was. <laughs> there are just long discussions about sex and gender and like religion and politics it's literally all of these like god what is the word intellectuals yeah intellectually discussing nothing and i couldn't tell i'm like am i supposed to feel like they're saying nothing and they're full of bullshit i think so I, i i think so too but Given that, there is so much it's of it. too much of it. Yeah, I'm like, why am I reading so much of this <laughs> if I'm supposed to think that it's like all just hot air, right? And it does feel like the author is critiquing this type of person, right? Yeah. Someone who really does nothing with their life but still feels like they have the right to offer their opinions and that their opinions are so important. And they're just debating nothing. They're having yeah. whole conversations that are really about nothing. And poor Connie has to just sit there and listen to all of it. (laughs) Yes. But even making that point, it just goes on for too long. I really, so I I appreciate the movie disregarding this for a couple reasons. Yeah. One, it's just boring Mm -hmm. and I don't care for it in the book. (laughs) But two, the movie frames uh, the house uh, Ragby as being kind of, like rep- like sexually repressive, yeah, and almost like unnatural and cold. And I think people openly discussing sex would have confused that idea, yeah, right. And I think it confuses it in the book too, right? Mm-hmm. But in the film, it you really get the sense that this place is. I mean, not only because she's not having sex with Clifford, mm-hmm. but just in general, there's this air of like kind of steriliness to yes. the whole place, right? Yeah, I agree. There's a part in the book too where Connie actually has an affair with yeah. um, one of the writer friends who's actually a playwright from Ireland. His name is uh, Michaelis, I think. Yes. I'm probably saying that Michaelis. wrong. But the two of them kind of have sex together. And it's sort of implied that Connie has sort of expected that she will have affairs. Yeah. And that even like her dad and, and sister are like, you'll you'll have affairs, right? Because of Clifford's It's so thing. weird she talks about this with her dad. I know. Multiple times. I know, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> the dad's like, so how's your sex life? Tell me all the about it. The dad's like, you're getting some, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this is, once again, I think it makes sense that the movie excludes this. Yes. Because... I think it kind of diminishes her relationship later. Yes. Where you're like, is this just another fling? Mm -hmm. Where in the film, I think it feels more significant that she's, you know, having sex with someone else. Yeah. But Michaelis is just kind of a... Distraction. Yeah, and kind of dumb. Uh, Yeah. Kind of a sad sack that Mm -hmm. doesn't really know what he wants in life. And maybe he's kind of interesting, but also not at all. (laughs) Yeah, Connie... Finds the sex to be good, but the relationship in general is not what she wants yeah. and isn't what she's looking for. So it doesn't last. But yeah, I agree that the movie is right to cut this out because it does kind of just distract from the overall story of her and Oliver. Yeah, for sure. Around this time, you know, speaking of uh, affairs, Clifford and Connie kind of go on a walk and have a discussion mm-hmm. where Clifford 
kind of laments the fact that he won't have an heir, anyone to inherit Ragby, and how he's not always sad about that, but at certain times he is. Yeah. And he kind of brings up the subject on his own about maybe if Connie found her own way to get pregnant and have a child, that maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing. Yeah. Because, I mean, no one really knows the extent of Clifford's injury, like... People would be like, I mean, I don't, he must still be able to have a kid, obviously. So it wouldn't be like scandalous. But yeah, I mean, he's basically in this moment giving her his consent that she's allowed to sleep around if she wants, Mm -hmm. but kind of puts like some, some restrictions, some caveats to that. Yeah. He's very much like, as long as it's just for, for the sex, right? Yeah. It's just a transaction. I think he only says this in the movie. I can't remember if it's in the book or not, but he compares it to going to the dentist. Yes. Yes. I wrote that line down because I thought it was perfect. Yeah. And I think it really just highlights, he, he specifically says like the mechanical act of sex. Yes. And compares it to, you know, oh, there's no reason we shouldn't think of it as just a routine trip to the dentist. Mm -hmm. And I think that just highlights his view on sex as a whole right? yeah yeah that it's this thing because he even says like i know that you wouldn't get attached right because mm-hmm. what we have is long term it's better than sex right? yeah and yeah. if you need sex to keep what we have going yeah then f- do it you know what i mean like obviously mm-hmm. don't like let yourself get attached to the other person but like if it allows our relationship to f- continue going yeah then do it yeah it's a really weird perspective and and you wonder did he always have that perspective yeah or does he have it now because he is unable to have sex like what where did that change for him was he always kind of like this because in the beginning of the book it does kind of describe their sex life as being not the most important thing to them yeah right and he also says you know, uh, maybe I don't want to know about it. Like, don't tell me. Like, don't yeah. make it obvious, right? But also do it because yeah. I want an heir. <laughs> like, it's very much he has his own rules about how this is supposed to go. Yeah. And she's kind of supposed to fit in this, like, neat little box about it. Yeah. On top of that, Connie is really having a tough time with all of these duties, being his nurse, being his secretary, being his constant companion. I think the movie really shows us her looking like physically weary and tired. We see her looking out the window and it's raining and she looks really sad, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's also worth mentioning that Emma Corrin is very thin. And I don't know if she lost weight specifically for this movie. I mean, some people are just very naturally thin, so I don't want to like body shame her or anything. But I mean, she's very thin. Like her her collarbones are very like prominent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I think, like, she kind of physically embodies this as well, right? Yeah, and I think the emotional toll, and the, and the book kind of gets into this a lot, her just feeling so weary that Clifford is relying on her so much, depending on her for all of his emotional and physical needs. Like, it's just fucking exhausting. Yeah, because he doesn't even want her to, like, go anywhere. Yeah. Like, at one point she mentions visiting her sister, and he's like, well, why can't she come here? And once again, he's kind of controlling her and being needy Mm -hmm. and you're left to wonder is this a result of like his injury and his reliance on her yeah or is this just how he is is he emotionally needy is Mm -hmm. he controlling you know yeah once again their lack of really knowing each other before his injury kind of plays into this you're only left to speculate right yeah eventually connie's sister shows up sees how ill and sad Connie looks and is literally goes up to Clifford and is like, 
look at her. Like, she's wasting away. Like, I'm getting her a doctor. You need to hire some help. You need to hire a nurse. That's what a nurse is for, to do this. So then your wife doesn't have to do this for you. You literally have so much money. Just hire someone. (laughs) I love this moment so much. Me too. I just love seeing her sister care for her and go to bat for her when she's kind of unable to do it herself. Mm -hmm. Like, even in the film, I forget if it plays out the same in the book, where uh, she's like, she needs to see a doctor. Yeah. And Clifford is like... I have a perfectly good doctor I'll get in touch with. And she's like, no, I'll get the doctor. Yeah. She immediately knows. Yeah. You're not going to call gonna anyone. Like, I can tell. Like, I'm going to do it. There's no scene of the doctor in the movie, but in the book, Hilda, her sister, literally takes her to the doctor, like herself. It's yeah. like, we're going and takes her to a doctor. The doctor's like, you just need to, like, have something else going on in your life. Like, you're really depressed. <laughs> <laughs> Get outside. Like, yeah. Take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pretty, like, basic human needs, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. But Clifford does eventually consent to hire a nurse. And this is where the character of Mrs. Bolton is introduced. Yes. She took care of him when he was a child. Yeah. And she's since done, like, other, you know, jobs here and there. But... I, I'm like, when you just, like, are a castle or, a, like, a manor <laughs> yeah. hiring, do people just drop whatever job they might currently have in order to work there? I think so. Because there's a scene in the film where they're, like, hiring again. Mm-hmm. You know, because basically nobody's been living at the house, so they've had minimal staff to keep it up. Yeah. But now that they're there again, they're like, we need to rehire staff. Mm-hmm. And they're just interviewing, like, 500 people. And I'm like... Were these people just like twiddling their thumbs <laughs> sitting around waiting or do they I just... I mean, I guess the money is better. There's the prestige, right? From it's working true. for like uh, a titled family, you know? Um, but Mrs. Bolton has history with nursing. She took care of a lot of other people in her life. And she comes in and what I like about Mrs. Bolton is that... You expect her to kind of be this, like, stuck-up older woman. But she's really actually kind of nice, and she and Connie get along really well. I expected her to be this uh, obstacle for Connie. Because there's points when when the the affair begins, Mm -hmm. like, Mrs. Bolton is kind of like... Uh, knows pick, what's going picking on. up what's going down and mm-hmm. like is and you're like oh god she's gonna tell clifford she's gonna get in the way yeah she's gonna be in love with clifford like what's going yeah but no that never happens mm-hmm. and i am like so stunned <laughs> by this female solidarity in this yes. book from like the 20s written by a man there's some great moments in the movie and in the book where connie and mrs bolton just get to talk amongst yeah. themselves and mrs bolton shares to her that she's widowed right her husband Um, was killed in the mines in one of the accidents because in the town that the um, Ragby Manor is next to, it's basically a coal mining town. And Sir Clifford actually owns the mines and is kind of the one that oversees that, whether he's involved or not. And Mrs. Bolton's husband died in one of the mining accidents. And like since then, she's like kind of resented the whole industry, right? Yeah. And she talks about really missing him and also how unfair it was that he had to work in the mines because there was no other job to be had. Yeah, saying how he kind of hated it. And the film uh, depicts this visually for us at one point when Connie is in town Mm -hmm. during May Day and a bunch of like dirty miners kind of like walk through the town like protesting vocally. Yeah. And I forget specifically about what, whether it's just like working conditions or whatnot, but kind of make a scene and the police come. Mm-hmm. And Connie's kind of like shocked by this. She's like, what's what's going on? And yeah. someone kind of clues her in. So yet the the town economy is heavily reliant on this mine that is, 
you know, belongs to Clifford. Mm-hmm. And up until this point, Clifford has been like, I'm going to be an author now. I'm going to write yeah. novels that people talk about and I'm going to have uh, writer friends and we're going to get together. Dinner parties. Yeah. And, yeah. and in the film anyway, he, he, he releases his first book and then reads a pretty bad review for it. Yeah. And that seems to just like. He's like, well, I'm done with that. Yeah, knock all the wind out of his sails. In the book, it's not really like he he just kind of decides to get more involved with the mines yeah. instead. But um, it's kind of presented that Mrs. Bolton kind of clues him in mm-hmm. to the state of the town and the people in it and the miners and how the coal mines are kind of like failing and shutting down and that there's anxiety in the town about work and if, you know, there'll be an economy to support um, these men and these workers. So Clifford decides to get involved. He's working on modernizing the mines, introducing different types of machinery. And in the book, they actually talk about like refining the coal in different ways. Yeah. I, I, I kind don't of, understand. I it. think there's like, you know, innovation that's going to make their mine either less profitable or almost null and like not needed and so he's trying to figure out a way to like bypass that or modernize the mind to avoid that happening mm-hmm. it kind of is like a specific subject that it doesn't really get into that much yeah but clifford becomes like very like in this right like this kind of becomes a obsession obs- yeah a consuming obsession for him right yeah he's very into the idea of being like an industrialist businessman <laughs> Yes. Business, business, business. Yes. (laughs) In contrast, though, you know, as Clifford is like moving more towards the mind and industrialization, the mine. I said mind. The mine. (laughs) I didn't even notice. Anytime we say mine, I just think of Lord of the Rings. Yes. And they called it a mine. (laughs) Without fail, every time the word is brought up. He's moving more towards the mines and industrialization. And Connie is running the other way into the woods. Yes. She is kind of just trying to escape, taking walks. And it doesn't take long before her path crosses with the gamekeeper or the the groundskeeper. The gamekeeper. The gamekeeper, okay. Oliver Mellers. Yes. And he is, he's older than Connie. Mm -hmm. And I find his character really interesting. And I especially love the way Jack O'Connell plays him. Yeah. Where he really kind of gives her nothing. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, I I especially like that. You feel it in the book, too. And I think the performance from Jack O'Connell does that really well. Yeah. Where he is not flirty with her he barely looks at her mm-hmm. he's just nothing but polite calling her you know my lady and that yeah. all that trying um, to avoid her yeah essentially yeah but she kind of makes it difficult she discovers this hut well first of all she catches a glimpse of him naked outside yes gets to see that uh stark naked <laughs> that ass that ass though <laughs> uh and so that, but then you know she finds this hut that he uses to raise the pheasants. Yes. Yeah, the pheasants, and kind of just he uses it for a number of things, mm-hmm. right? And she likes it. She likes that it's kind of in nature. It's secluded, and they kind of have this whole ordeal where she wants a key for it for herself, and he clearly doesn't want to give it to her. Yeah. There's kind of a back and forth with that, mm-hmm. but eventually he, you know, agrees, and they get a key for her, and it kind of becomes this like meeting place for them right Mm -hmm. and we keep track of time 
time kind of passes at this point in the story and we see that with like the pheasants like yes. the eggs being laid and like the, the chicks. chicks being hatched mm-hmm. and yeah there's a scene here where clearly Connie is starting to feel uh, some type of way this is just in the movie but there is a similar scene in the book where she's kind of looking at herself naked in mm-hmm. the mirror and kind of like evaluating what she looks like in the film she actually masturbates so like we're meant to believe that she's kind of awakening a little bit. Yeah, and this is, you know, coincidentally, right after she saw that ass. Yeah. (laughs) So there's, uh, you know, room for speculation there. Yeah. But there's a scene where she meets Oliver at the hut, Mm -hmm. and the chicks have hatched, and she's holding one of the chicks, and she just starts crying. Yeah. And it's super awkward, but I love that the film kind of embraces the awkwardness. Yeah, she's almost like hyperventilating a little bit. Yeah, and Oliver's like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. Like, <laughs> can I can I ignore this? And he tries, and he's like, I can't ignore this. And so he kind of like, you know, puts his hand out to her, and then she hugs him, and then he's like, uh, what do he, I his do? His arms are just straight out, yeah. like a crucifix. <laughs> and then eventually she kind of like ends up pulling his hand to her face and like nuzzling it clearly kind of being like okay let's let's do this he's like so i don't want to say not into it but yeah. like just staring off into the distance very at first. like not responding yeah but then eventually he's like okay let's do this yeah and then they have sex on the floor the book actually she's crying and then he just like grabs her hand brings her into the hut Lays her down yeah. and just fucks her. <laughs> That's what happens. He's just, like, he just pushes oh, her. a woman who's crying. I know what to do. I know. I know what to do. <laughs> Don't worry about this. I got this handle. I mean, we're meant to believe that, like, he's known there's been something between them for this whole time. And this is now him giving in. But, like, it does kind of feel really weird. Yeah. In the book. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of parts in the book that feel like that where it's so... Uh, I want to say, like, in the character's head, but also kind of pontificating on... Some subject. Subject, like, nature or sex or, like, gender, and then being very just poetic with its language. But at the same time, you're like, what's happening, though? Yeah, what are they thinking? What are they feeling in this moment? Like, what's happening between them? There's a real disconnect, and I felt that way throughout a lot of this book, and I don't know how much of it is just a sign of like the times that it was written and the styles that you know books were written in more back then but like i feel like there's so much in a way a lot of themes a lot of themes are brought up very directly in this book in the dialogue uh you know about sex gender all that yeah like, talked about by like the, the characters the characters right yeah but it's before you even know the characters. Yeah. You know? And so you feel not invested in it. it. It would feel like you just picked up a book that started talking to you about this without any, like, narrative. or Like, it's not a novel or fiction. It's just, like, someone telling you about yeah. this stuff. And I'm like, why is this in the framework of a story? What's happening, though? Yeah. And, I mean, by the end, part of me thinks, like, oh, maybe if I reread this, I'd get more out of it knowing where it's going, like knowing what the characters are like more later on. But there's so much of it that in the moment while I'm reading it, I'm just kind of like checked out because I don't get the purpose of what's being said. Yeah. And even just beyond the characters talking to each other and Mm -hmm. expressing all these opinions, we also have like the narration doing that too. Yeah. The The narration often just goes off. 
Yes. And it's very clearly the author. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so obvious that it's the author being like, and I feel this way about the Industrial Revolution, and I feel this <laughs> way about all these old manor houses being torn down, yeah. and I feel this way about my England that I know and love being taken away and changed, you know? Well, and the book does have, you know, it is third person, but it's like omnipotent. Yeah. Where it gets in the heads of multiple characters, like yeah. just kind of back and forth, not even chapter to chapter. Mm-hmm. It's just like, uh, you know, Connie said this because she was feeling this way, but Oliver felt this way about it. Like it's just going yeah. around. Yeah. So there is very much a a viewer author perspective that's like very prominent because you're not in any one character's yes. head. So like even as the book is telling you about something, you know it's some kind of other voice right yeah yeah it just can be a lot yeah and it goes on for too long and you just (laughs) get lost and it gets in the way of like very critical moments yeah like this one where they're oh my god they're having sex for the first time and instead it's like i don't even know what it's trying to say yeah with like the actions of the characters like Mm -hmm. in some ways despite all the things it's saying about human nature the characters feel so removed from feeling at points yeah It's really hard to explain. It really is. You'd have to like read it to understand. Which is why almost even though I was very bored during a lot of this book, part (laughs) of me would be like, is it worth going back and rereading? Yeah. If I didn't have other things to read. (laughs) Because would I then get something way more? You know what I mean? Like maybe I only got 10% out of it reading it once but if i went back and read it again would i get like 90 percent mm-hmm. out of it because i know more about what's going on now and the context yeah yeah who's to say <laughs> <laughs> anyway let's get back to the steamy stuff right like the really hot stuff yeah uh so we have this first sex scene mm-hmm. where it's you're really seeing it but it feels kind of like removed right yeah. a little bit Then we get a scene later where Connie visits Oliver again, Mm -hmm. and this time Oliver uh, fingers her and goes down on her. Yeah, in the movie. In the film, yes. Yeah. And she seems into it, and then she just kind of like abruptly stops. Yeah, and gets up and leaves. And I'm like, did she come or didn't she? Yeah. (laughs) I wasn't sure if like, if something was wrong, they don't really talk about it. No. She just kind of- So why does she leave? Yeah, unless she's like, I'm done. (laughs) You can you can do what you need to. I'm out of here. Yeah, it's also worth talking about, like, as they're beginning a sexual relationship, like, Oliver at one point is like, don't do anything you're going to regret, right? Yeah. And there's this aspect to their social statuses, right? Because she is Lady Chatterley, and he is of the working class, right? He, It's interesting because he was actually in the army and yeah. was a lieutenant. Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, So he actually had a pretty high up position in the military. But when he came out of the military, he kind of just went back to his life before and wanted to just be gamekeeper again. Kind of like going back. He was elevated in the army and now he's kind of going back to his lower class roots. And he has a wife that he married who left him. And in the book, Ian, (laughs) he has a child. Yeah. Okay. So about that, when we were outlining for this and you mentioned the child, I was like, oh my God, I forgot about the child. Yeah. Because they bring her up and then she's gone. And she's never brought up again. Ian, do you know what this child's name is? It is also Connie. It's also Connie. Why (laughs) is it also Connie? I don't know. Why? Why did you choose this? Why would the the author do this? (laughs) Look, 
Could a man meet a woman who has who happens to have the same name as a, as his daughter? Sure. Yeah. Why would an author write it that make way. that decision though? Gross. <laughs> Yeah, this kid is, like, brought up at the beginning, and then we never see this kid Also, again. we're introduced to her because he's hitting her. Yeah. Right? He's yeah. He's, like... Because she's crying about him shooting a cat. Yeah. And then he's... <laughs> I think he's physically hitting her, right? Or am I wrong? Is he just, like, yelling at her? I don't know. Basically, Connie hears this confrontation in the woods and then, like, comes across them and agrees to, like, walk the kid home, right? So, I don't really know... What was going on no. with Oliver and his kid and like what like the kid is living with Oliver's mom. Yeah. But he also was just like, eh. I don't care about her. Yeah. Yeah. I cannot believe I forgot <laughs> about this kid. Like all during the final act of this book. Like I, I didn't think about it. I yeah. forgot. Yeah. I mean it's it's not brought up again. And I'm like, what's the point of him having this kid? I also want to talk about the discussions about sex here, because we have the characters talking about, like, and specifically Oliver going off in the book about how certain sex is good and fine and certain sex mm-hmm. is bad and, like, wrong, right? <laughs> yes. And the author is also coming in and talking about views on sex. And, like, I've seen some criticism of this book, like, from a feminist perspective before. Yeah. And it's basically, like, yeah, D.H. Lawrence basically thought that it was the only natural way for a woman to orgasm was vaginally Mm. and that any clitoral stimulation was wrong. And so he specifically talks in the book. He says like friction. Yes. And like friction and um, going at it themselves. Yeah. Like using the man's leg to like grind on them or like kind of getting themselves off or like them being an active role in sex, it feels like. Uh, friction is mentioned a lot. Um, but yeah, he is against this. And Oliver is against this. It's so weird. It's super weird. And this is part of like Oliver and his ex-wife and their thing. Well, they're not technically divorced, but his wife, who he's estranged from, he talked about her kind of being the aggressor in sex, that she was kind of the one that was more active. And then that was... Kind of wrong and perverse, right? Yeah, there's a lot of... She, he talks about her, like, weaponizing sex. And there's a lot of things about mentioned about masculinity and kind of a ma- masculinity being, like, under assault almost. Yeah. But then it also ties this into, like, capitalism and, like, the working class and it being, like, demoralizing to people in general to, like, work certain jobs. And, like, he's tying that into masculinity. And I'm like, I mean... Uh, what are you Ma- saying? Yeah, I just, I, I like, <laughs> lose track of the narrative of, like, what his point is. Yeah. To the, I mean, I get, like, he's tying in the sex and the classism and the gender mm-hmm. and, but to what extent I have no, it's just, like, a, a weird gumbo of, <laughs> of a, of a theme, right? <laughs> yeah, I just didn't love this, like, tirade against, like, certain types of sex, but other types are fine. Well, and he... Like, you're under the impression, at least at the beginning of the book, that, like, you know, oh, Connie has this kind of sexual fling mm-hmm. with, like, young boys, with boys when she was young. Yes. They're both young. <laughs> <laughs> I must with young boys. <laughs> Everyone is young. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, it seems like she's sexually liberated, and that's fine. So from my point of view at first, I was like, that's the author's stance, right? Yeah. Like, it felt like, yeah, women can, like, have sex, and it's fine and be free. Yeah. Then it gets into Oliver's shit. Yeah. I'm like, this is weird. Wait. <laughs> I'm like, is this how the author thinks? I don't know. But it never, like, 
counters his points. It does feel like the two of them are very in sync with their sexual needs. Yeah. And I will say that, Mm -hmm. right? It feels like Oliver talks a lot about how he was with women before that either didn't want to have sex and were kind of like ice cold or were too aggressive for him. Yeah. And so him finding Connie, it's like the perfect medium for him. Yeah. Right? And you know what? Good, Good for, for him. Great. But like what he does instead of being like, oh, you're exactly what I've needed and like we fit well and what we want is the same. He's like, everything else is wrong and stupid and everyone else is fucked up and bad and we are the only people that have it right. <laughs> yes. And lesbians are bad. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. This book takes a jab at a lot of minorities. We got uh, some anti-Semitism. Yep. We have specific comments about people who are black and of other races. Uh, He hates the Italians, I guess, too. I don't know what he thinks about the Italians, (laughs) to be honest. There's a lot of people that are, the comments are made about them, and I'm like, Lesbians. What am I supposed to get from that? Yeah. (laughs) It's it's a lot, right? Yeah. I remember at one point... Connie was, like, yelling at Clifford and, like, making all these great points about, like, classism and prejudice and his position of power over other people. Yeah. And then she just says the most anti-Semitic thing, like, I've ever heard, like, in the middle of this. Uh. And I'm like, no, Connie! (laughs) You were doing so well! (laughs) Yeah, it's not great. Uh, Let's... Let's get back to, like, uh, just, like, the hot, steamy sex. Yes, let's go back to the sex. Yeah. uh, The unproblematic sex. Of the film, especially. (laughs) The film really gets into them banging outdoors a lot. Yeah. And here's what I'll say, Dina. (laughs) I usually roll my eyes at this, right? Mm -hmm. Because I always feel like sex outdoors is always made to be, like, the most beautiful. And pure. And pure. And every time... I see an ant in my kitchen. I have like a mild panic attack that there's an ant infestation. I would not hold up outdoors having sex. Like the moment there's a spider on my foot or something, I'm I know. Out. I know, right? <laughs> but so I usually roll my eyes at this because it's usually just meant for the visuals, right? Yes. However, I think in this film and in the book, you know, this is drawing from the source material. Mm-hmm. There's this clear correlation with Connie escaping the house, which yes. represents like capitalism and oppression and kind of class status and Clifford Mm -hmm. and retreating into the woods, which represents freedom, Mm -hmm. both sexually and her to just be in who she loves. Yeah. And and so them having sex outdoors, like in these very natural environments and like even the soundscape of like hearing, you know, the nature sounds insects and birds and stuff like I think it really ties well into the themes of the story. For sure. And so in this instance, I will I will allow it. You will allow I it. I will allow the outdoor sex. Yeah, the themes of like industrialization versus nature, I think, are really strong in this book, which makes sense because of the time, right? Yeah. And the author is literally seeing the England that he knew change and become something different, right? The forests are being cut down. We have the smog and pollution from the mines that is talked about here. Yeah. It's also worth noting that D.H. Lawrence was actually the son of a coal miner. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, and he actually married a woman who was like kind of above his social class. Mm. But he kind of became a teacher, so kind of rose himself up out of the ranks of like that working class. But um. Obviously, he has a background here and kind of an interest in this depiction of, 
industry and nature. I find that really interesting. I mean, I like a lot of the class commentary going on. I sometimes wish it was like more about that. Yeah. But I I find it interesting that he had kind of a personal stake in like the coal mining subplot of Mm -hmm. the story. Yeah. Uh, In the film, Connie's pregnant. Yes. She touches her boobs and she's like, you know what? I think I'm pregnant. (laughs) And it just, this is really dumb to say, but I'm like, a woman wouldn't know she's pregnant until when? Yeah. Like, until you're just like... You missed your period. Well, I guess you'd... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, never mind. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, her feeling her breasts is like... Oh, this is it. This yeah. is happening, I guess. Yeah. It would just be like much more uncertain. Yeah, is what I mean, I'm you saying. can't take a test and be like, I'm definitely pregnant. And periods are like very, for a lot of women, very like inconsistent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in the book, she doesn't know yet, but like she kind of starts, she's talking with um, someone from the village and kind of starts this rumor that like, oh, um, actually, Clifford and I might be able to have a kid. Yeah. Like his doctors are saying he's improving a lot. (laughs) And this rumor kind of spreads through the village and actually someone else ends up saying it to Clifford later. They're like, are the rumors true? Is there going to be an heir? Yeah. And he's like, maybe. (laughs) I like people thinking that I still get a boner. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So he is kind of like happy about these rumors and almost sees it as like a sign that maybe... Things are, you know, going to happen with them. Yeah. And that, like, maybe there is an heir on the way. Yeah, that Connie is going to follow through with what they talked about, right? Having a kid on her own and then presenting it as his. Yeah. Around this time, too, in the film, Connie, you know, because she does know she's pregnant, tells Oliver. Mm -hmm. And they kind of get into a fight over this because Oliver feels used. Yeah. And I kind of like this as a, this isn't really a subplot in the book at all. No. But I like this conflict because it feels very... I mean, that that question feels kind of obvious in the book, right? Like, yeah. is Connie just using him to have a kid? Like, you don't think she is. Mm-hmm. But those are two kind of in sync yet competing motivations that she has right now, both wanting to have sex with someone, but also wanting to have a kid. Yeah. And it's like, where does she fall in her motivations? Mm-hmm. So I like the movie kind of shining a light on this a little bit more. Yeah. And them having this discussion about where they stand, right? Yeah. The book doesn't have this argument, but they do have a lot of weird arguments and then make up a lot. Like, yeah, I just feel like he's sometimes just mean to her. He's really shitty. And then sometimes she's just really like, say you love me, right? Say you love me. is so needy. (laughs) She's so needy. She's just like, you think I'm pretty, right? Like, tell me you think I'm pretty. Yeah. Like, you'll always love me, right? You want to be with me. Well, we're going to make it work together, right? And there are just times when he's talking and she just keeps asking, like, these follow-up questions. (laughs) Well, what do you think about that? Yeah. Well, how does that make you feel? (laughs) What about this? Tell me about this. And I'm like, oh my God, stop. Like, that's not a conversation. That's an interview. (laughs) Talk. Yeah. So there's a really crucial scene that happens around this point where Connie and Clifford are kind of taking a stroll. Clifford has a brand spanking new motorized wheelchair. Mm -hmm. And but not a very powerful one. Obviously, the technology at the time. And he's trying to make it do more than it can, like go up steep inclines Mm -hmm. and things like that. And they're having this discussion. And Clifford really lets his colors show through here. Yeah, he's a real dick in this scene. Really starts leaning into the, I was bred of nobility and like, I'm just of a higher caliber of human being that the people of the town that rely on me for 
like jobs and an income. Like yeah. that's just the way the world works. That's my role. These lower class men need someone to rule them. And why shouldn't it be me? Like I'm meant to do this and is very much like these are the people that are essentially animals and yeah. I'm here to control them and take care of them. And Connie brings up a great point. I mean, first of all, besides like that's sociopathic. Yeah. But she also says something along the lines of like, well, you want me to have a kid with someone else. Yeah. And like they won't be bred of nobility. Yeah. And he kind of admits like, yeah, no, nobility isn't in the blood or yeah. like the genetics or whatever. It's how it, you're raised. Yeah. And it's just like a status. And it's like we're a part of a system that like relies on this. Mm-hmm. And you know, I just drew the right straw. Yeah. Like, I just lucked out, mm-hmm. essentially, right? Yeah, but I'm going with it. But Yeah, but no, like, <laughs> I earned it, though. And I'm going to uphold that system. There's also a really good line by Oliver in the film where, and I can't remember if this is in the book. They do so much fucking talking in the book. I can't remember what's said or not said. Yeah. But Oliver talks about, like, the gentleman class mm-hmm. and kind of says how they're dead inside. Yeah. And he says, you have to be in order to send men into the mines, into factories, to treat other human beings in such a inhumane way. Yeah. Like, you kind of have to kill a part of yourself. Mm. And I really like this line and this idea that to be in that role, and I mean, like, you know, we're talking about nobility in England, but I mean, this obviously applies to capitalism, too. Yeah. That to exploit people for labor you do have to kind of like emotionally block yourself off from that. Yeah. And like, how could you not suffer as a human? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, like how could your personality not suffer from that? Right. Yeah. Like how could yeah. you not turn into kind of a monster? Mm-hmm. And I think Clifford is really embodying this in, in this moment with like his hubris and his status and just everything. Absolutely. And the symbolic juxtaposition here is so strong because he's going off on this tirade, right? And then his wheelchair (laughs) breaks. Yeah. And they have to get Oliver to come help them, right? And it's just this power struggle where he's like, come look at this thing and fix it, you know? And then he's like, don't push me, push me, don't push me. Like, it's this whole thing. And just showing like, Yes, he has this position, but he's still reliant on others, and we are all reliant on each other. And to pretend that we're better than other people is just pretend, right? Yeah, and I mean, he's so helpless in this circumstance, right? Like, he needs Oliver, and he can't help but yell at him and tell him what to do because he pays his salary. Yeah. And it's this, like— It's sad. It's sad. It's just sad for everyone, but it's this, like, fascinating dynamic. And this extends to beyond— just Clifford's disability, right? Yes. Like everyone at the top relies on the little people, the working class, the uh what what did we rename them during the pandemic? Priority workers or oh, yeah. whatever we decided to call them. Mm-hmm. Um everyone relies on them, but like somehow people at the top don't still don't value them. No, don't value them at all. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think this scene just like this is like five minutes after he just went on this tirade. Yeah. I think it works so well. It does. He and Connie have this huge argument afterwards where she's criticizing him for his views. And you can really see the d- deterioration of their relationship here. Just want to throw in here and just mention the uh, sex montage in the movie. <laughs> They're just fucking every which way outdoors. Yeah. <laughs> just in every field. Against a tree, in a field, in like a wheat field. In a wheat field. <laughs> I mean, there's no way. There's got to be like mites in there, you know. Ticks. Yeah. Ooh, something. Ticks, yeah. 
<laughs> There's also a lot of like really kind of silly, funny parts in the book that I can't tell how silly or funny I'm supposed to think they are. Yeah. Exhibit A, they named their genitals. <laughs> uh, John Thomas yes. and Lady Jane. Apparently, this was a title for the book. John, John Thomas and Lady Jane. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're reading this book, right? And you're like, who, wait, who, who are, are these, these people? people? <laughs> and finally, he's just like, oh, let me introduce you to John Thomas. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I don't like the genitals speaking to one another. No, it is taking itself like really seriously in a really absurd way. Yeah. Another scene is when, like, they have these, like, they've, like, picked flowers, like, little flowers, and they're just putting them in each other's pubes. Yeah. And in each, like, in his, in his chest hair, too, <laughs> and they're just kind of, like, decorating each other with, like, flowers. Yeah. And this works, like, a little bit better, I think, but it's still kind of silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's kind of a, a homage to this in the film. Mm-hmm. He's more just like, I think, decorating. Putting flowers all over her. Yes. Instead and not of like, just weaving them into her pubic hair. Into her pubes. <laughs> uh, Where are we now? Uh, dancing in the rain? Yes. Oh, Yeah. Uh, there's a thunderstorm, and Connie decides she's going to strip naked and run outside in the rain. And you know what? Major points to Jack O'Connell, the <laughs> <Yes>. actor, for not only going full frontal nude in mm-hmm. this scene, but just Flop, pr- flopping it around, flopping around, <laughs> prancing through the field. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this scene is like, I think, you know, this is the height of the nature freedom yes. kind of motif in the film. I mean, they've been having sex outdoors, right? But mm-hmm. this is like more pure than that even, right? They're just gallivanting around Mm -hmm. naked in the rain, in the field, like not even having sex in the moment, but just kind of like... Yeah. Like just chasing each other and just enjoying themselves. Mm -hmm. And to me, this is like kind of the peak of where this like kind of visual metaphorical arc was going, right? Yeah, definitely. So at this point in the movie, Connie knows that she's pregnant and is trying to figure out a plan. Yeah. In the book, she does not know she's pregnant, but she thinks that she might be eventually or yeah. soon. I and mean, if she's just having like constant unprotected, unprotected sex. Yeah. And so she's like, I need to figure out a plan. And so this plan for Venice uh, comes into development here and her sister and her father are going to be going to venice and they're like connie you never get away and you never get to do anything fun why don't you come with us to venice and connie sees this as an opportunity to get away from clifford and to also whether she thinks she's pregnant or not in case she is pregnant she can be like oh i had an affair in venice yeah so clifford won't know that she was having the affair with oliver yeah, because she still just really not want him to know about Oliver. And mm-hmm. so she kind of concocts this whole plan of like getting away to Venice, having some kind of affair or at least the illusion of one to please yeah. uh, uh, Clifford. And yeah. Clifford is even like, oh, you're going to Venice. Like, are our plans already in the works? Like, yes. who are you going to have sex with? Like, no, don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. He's like, he's like genuinely like excited about it. Though. Yeah, which is kind of sad. It is. <laughs> Uh, yeah so she's gonna go on this trip and like in the movie she kind of has this fight with oliver because of it where he's he's feeling used but then she's like listen 
I do eventually want to get divorced. Like I don't want to just come back and be with Clifford still. Like I want to figure out a way that we can be together. Yeah. And she says in the film, and once again, like, okay, confession here. I listened to this on audiobook for like two thirds of it. You know what I mean? At a certain point after reading, I'm like, I need yeah. to listen to the audiobook. And I was maybe a tad checked out <laughs> listening to this. So if something was mentioned in the book that I'm saying is only in the film, I'm wrong. <laughs> but she says to Oliver, like, for this to work, for me to be able to divorce Clifford, I have to have an affair and, like, fall in love. Yeah. Because it has to be, like, his plan that backfired on him. Yeah. In order to kind of, like, navigate this situation and make it work. Yeah. It has to be, like, his fault for convincing me to have sex with someone mm -hmm. who I then fall in love with. Yeah. So we're getting into a little bit of a contrived, complicated... Absolutely. ...web of lies Well, here. and we're reminded here that Oliver is not divorced from his wife. No. And so he's like, well, I kind of need to get a divorce, too. So I'm going to start that process. He's like, I didn't mean to get to that yeah, like, at some point. It's whatever. <laughs> the movie is like kind of more like clear. There's actually a scene where um, his wife's like new boyfriend is like coming around trying to like get money. Yes. So like saying like, oh, she's your wife. She's entitled to like some of your pension. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. This is not in the book at all. No. Um, but it is kind of interesting, kind of reminding us about his wife, even though we never see her in the movie. I I, I liked that inclusion for sure. And also mm -hmm. making like Ned kind of her, his wife's new fella, making yeah. him kind of the aggressor in the situation mm -hmm. instead of the book, which is just his wife being crazy <laughs> and like breaking into his house. And yeah. Like, you can't get rid of me. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that choice for sure. Yeah. Around this time, though, you know, she's getting ready to go to Venice mm -hmm. and she finally tells her sister Hilda about the affair she's having. Yeah. With the gamekeeper. And Hilda is not excited about this. No. Which I think is kind of, at least for me, surprising. Yeah. You know, Hilda very, seems to have a really good head on her shoulders. Like. She doesn't like Clifford. No. Yeah. But even the class status thing for her is still a factor. And too much. Yeah. And she's like, you can't be with the fucking gamekeeper yeah. of your husband. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. It's interesting in the movie, she specifically says, like, you're confusing sex with love. Yeah. And she said at the beginning when Connie was getting married to Clifford, why couldn't you guys just have sex instead? Yes. I think this is a really interesting counterpoint. The movie never really, like, counters. No. Like, that's a good question. Like, is she just confusing sex for love? Yeah. The movie is just kind of like, no, of course she isn't. Yeah, she's in love, obviously. Obviously, we're not even going to uh, entertain this idea. Yeah. But I'm like, that seems like a very valid it is. thought, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. For sure. But like Connie's like, okay, we're going to Venice, but I need to spend one last night with Oliver before we go. So Clifford thinks we're leaving tonight, but then I need you to go to an inn in a nearby town, drive me back to uh, Oliver's cottage so I can fuck him and then pick me up the next morning and then we can go to Venice. And Hilda's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> And Connie's like, I have to see him. Please. I love him. Uh, I can't. I won't go if you don't take me. And she's I'm like, go to Venice. Okay, fine. Oh my 
I, when I was reading this part, I was just like, I cannot fucking believe Connie. Yeah. She is so needy and unsympathetic in this moment. I know. And if I was her sister, I'd be like. And had to like pick her up and drop her off. I'd be like, okay, fine. I'm for leaving. For her affair? Her yeah. active affair? Yeah. Un- unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, but still, Hilda, being a better sister than she probably deserves, agrees to do it. And yeah. she actually gets to meet Oliver mm-hmm. in a scene. And they immediately don't get along. Yeah, because Hilda is very confrontational. Like, what do you think is going to happen? How could you do this? In the book, he's like super rude to her. Oh my God, he's awful. And says like, you should be slapped. You deserve to be alone because she's getting divorced. Like, it's this whole thing. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Once again, an adaptation knowing (laughs) what parts to leave out (laughs) of the source material that Maybe didn't age the best for your protagonist of the love story. Yeah. It's a, it's tense in the movie, but he's not, like, aggressive with her. And, in fact, she brings up a good point of saying, like, what are you going to do when he, you obviously get fired for your job? Yeah. Like, how are you going to provide for her? Yeah. And when she leaves, Oliver's like, she has a point. We've kind of got so swept up in this. Mm-hmm. We haven't really thought about the future at all. Yeah. But he's like, let's just forget about that. For the moment. Mm-hmm. And let's just, let's just bang, right? <laughs> yes. Let's have sex. Yes. In fact, in the book, let's have a very specific kind of sex. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to read you a portion yes, of this. Yes, okay? please. <clears throat> it was a night of sensual passion in which she was a little startled and almost unwilling, yet pierced again with piercing thrills of sensuality, different, sharper, more terrible than the thrills of tenderness, but at the moment more desirable. Though a little frightened, she let him have his way, and the reckless, shameless sensuality shook her to her foundations, stripped her to the very last, and made a different woman of her. It was not really love. It was not voluptuousness. It was sensuality sharp and searing as fire, burning the soul to tinder, burning out the shames, the deepest, oldest shames, in the most secret places. It cost her an effort to let him have his way and his will of her. She had to be a passive, consenting thing, like a slave, a physical slave. Yet the passion licked round her, consuming, and when the sensual flame of it pressed through her bowels and breast, she really thought she was dying, yet a poignant, marvelous death. In the short summer night, she learned so much. She would have thought a woman would have died of shame, instead of which the shame died. Shame, which is fear, the deep organic shame, the old, old physical fear, which crouches in the bodily roots of us and can only be chased away by the sensual fire. At last it was roused up and routed by the phallic hunt of the man, and she came to the very heart of the jungle of herself. She felt, now, she had come to the real bedrock of her nature and was essentially shameless. She was her sensual self, naked and unashamed. She felt a triumph almost a vainglory. So, that was how it was. That was life. And what a reckless devil the man was. Really like a devil. One had to be strong to bear him. But it took some getting at, the core of the physical jungle, the last and deepest recess of organic shame. The phallus alone could explore it, and how he had pressed it on her, and how, in fear, she had hated it, but how she had really wanted it. She knew now, At the bottom of her soul, fundamentally, she had needed this phallic hunting out. She had secretly wanted it, and she had believed that she would never get it. Now suddenly there it was, and a man was sharing her last and final nakedness. She was shameless. 
So <laughs> in case you didn't get it, uh, they did anal. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So I read this. Yeah, and me, like, me too. So much of this, I mean, it was different than the other descriptions of sex, but also it was kind of similar, right? Well, it starts off saying how, like, she had to kind of bend to his will, right? Yeah. He had to dominate her. And there was, like, some shame involved. But once she gave in to him mm-hmm. and let him do what he wanted, like, she felt liked it. good and she liked it. And, like, that could be a lot of things. That could just yeah. be kind of rough sex, like, mm-hmm. more kind of dom stuff, you know. And so I was just like, okay, yeah, like, I'm, I'm listening to this on audiobook. And it's so, like, <laughs> at a point... You kind of just tune out a bit, yes, right? Yeah. Says, even reading it. Yeah. Not even just listening to it. You're like, yeah, yeah. I wrote down a couple things like only the the man could do it with the phallus. I'm like, yeah, well, whatever. Like heteronormative <laughs> bullshit here. Like, you know, writing that down, but not really like tuning in. It wasn't until I was reading like an article later about it where they talked about anal sex. And I was like, oh, my God, was that what it was? <laughs> 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 yeah, the 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 jungle of her inner being, deepest organic shame. The <laughs> <laughs> Once again, saying so so much about yeah. To get to a very like I mean there are things to like say about it which I like, you know, she talks about like she would have thought that she would have died from shame, but instead yeah. the shame... She the felt shame, liberated. Yeah, and the, the shame died away. Mm-hmm. Like, there's kind of some interesting interesting things to be said about it. But, my God, it just goes on for so long and just beats... <laughs> I, I actually skipped parts in there. That was not the whole bit. Like, I skipped paragraphs. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Because <laughs> it really goes on a long time about it. does, it. yeah. And it's just so funny <laughs> that we both read that. And we're like, yeah, whatever. And did not... <laughs> Pick up on what was actually going on. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's pretty fucking raunchy for a book. I know. From, no matter how much it beats around the bush, like, yeah. for a book written at that time. Yeah, it's pretty explicit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's worth mentioning that in the film, they have sex uh, doggy style for what is the first time that we see. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's, it's I don't anal. think it's meant to be anal. No. Yeah. But it almost feels like a homage to the book. I don't know. It just feels like, <laughs> it feels intentional that they chose that moment for yeah. that position. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Oh my God. She has to leave in the morning and they're talking about their future, right? And she's going to come back and then they'll figure out what they're going to do. The movie has... Uh, Ned coming here at this time. Yeah. Who's um, uh, Oliver's wife's lover. And then, like, he comes back later and, like, searches um, Oliver's house, like, looking for evidence. I think he was, like, looking for money or anything yeah. to take because Oliver technically, like, owed his wife money. So, but he finds uh, burned undergarments from a lady in the fireplace mm-hmm. and also a book that has... Property of Lady Chatterley written mm-hmm. on the inside cover. Yeah. And so he kind of is piecing together that old Oliver's having an affair with the lady of the manor. Mm-hmm. In the movie, Connie is supposed to go to Venice. Yeah. But doesn't go to Venice. Yeah, she's on her way to Venice. Meanwhile, we get kind of a montage of the rumors spreading. First, yeah. starting with Ned mm-hmm. telling everyone at like the pub, yeah, what Oliver's been up to with the the lady of um, Ragby, 
And then that kind of spreads to like the women who work mm-hmm. for the house. And then that eventually gets back to Clifford. Yeah. And Clifford calls in Oliver mm-hmm. to talk to him about it and basically just fires him on the spot. Yeah. And Lady Chatterley, Connie hears about this and ends up coming back and talking to Oliver about it. And he's in the situation. He's like, I have to go. I, I got to figure out a different situation for myself. I'll find you, basically, and we'll figure this out. Yeah. Let's talk about the book, though. Yes. Um, in the book, she does go to Venice and spends a few weeks there. Yeah, so she goes on her trip. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the plot progresses via letter writing. Yes. Which I have to say is not the most exciting means <laughs> of progressing the story. Yeah, meanwhile, she's just like being mopey in Italy. She's just looking at everyone and being like, you're all so fake. Yeah. You make me sick. <laughs> like, uh, you're all acting like you're happy, but you're really not. Yeah. God, liars. She's, <laughs> liars. She's so awful. I know. But she gets a letter talking about how Oliver's wife found him and, like, came back and, like, broke into his cottage and yeah. is just creating, like, all kinds of mayhem that everyone in town is talking about mm-hmm. and that she found evidence of the affair. And then is she's the one spreading rumors. Yes. Yeah. And that in a following letter, she finds out that Oliver was fired mm-hmm. by Clifford. So she's just, like, getting letters just telling her everything that's going down. Yeah. She eventually is able to communicate with Oliver and say... I know you're fired and you're going back to London. I'm coming back to London after my Venice trip, so I'll meet you there and we'll meet up. And they do meet up, and this is where they're kind of talking about, like, what they're going to do. And both of them are trying to get their divorces. And I just want to be clear here about the divorce stuff because the movie is sort of like, I'll find you. And then it's like they part ways and then they come back. In the book, it's actually really difficult at times to get a divorce at this time in the UK. And in fact, Oliver has to, in order for his divorce to go through, he has to submit for it. And then he has to be like morally upright for six months. Yeah. And then the divorce can be finalized. So that means that like he can't be seen with another woman during that time or they'll deny his divorce. Which like, what does that? I don't know. Like he can't like... How do you prove that? How do you disprove it? Yeah. Do people just like kick your door down on random intervals to like make sure you're not having sex? I have no idea. I did not look into like the legal like ramifications for this because I was tired. But um, (laughs) yeah. Also, it's insane. It is insane. But just kind of making it clear how difficult divorce was at this time. Yeah. And so he can't actually be with Connie for the next six months. And she's probably going to have her kid like maybe even before the six months of separation can go through. But they have this last meetup. They talk about what they're going to do. He's like, I'm going to find work. I'm going to figure out a situation. I'll write to you. And I at least can get my divorce. I don't know about you and your divorce, but we'll try to, like, figure it out. Yes. It gets just, like, really convoluted in the book. Yeah. Because – Connie is like, okay, I have to come up with a different lover who I can attribute this pregnancy to. And I have a family friend who has always wanted to paint me. Yeah. So maybe if I let him paint me, he'll claim this child. Uh And, you know, because we can't say that it's 
Oliver's because he's trying to get his divorce finalized. And it just like gets so. Yeah. Like <laughs> the scheme of her visiting Oliver before she went on vacation was annoying enough. Yes. Like it involved like. Her get, sister dropping her off. Getting hotels. And and somewhere. D- disguises. <laughs> and now it's like even more of that. So it's just kind of annoying. Yeah. She also in the book writes a letter, though, to mm-hmm. Clifford and is like, I've fallen in love and I want a divorce. Yeah. And Clifford's like, I won't speak to you about anything until you come here in person. Is there anything shittier than asking <laughs> for a divorce via letter? Yeah, it's that, pretty bad. That's, that's rough. Either way, we get a scene of her going to Ragby to talk to Clifford in both the book and the movie. Yeah. And she just saying, I, I want a divorce. And in the movie, he knows right away. He's like, it's true, isn't it? About you and Oliver having an affair. Yes. In the book, he has no idea. And she'll, she finally is like, oh, my God, I'm having an affair with Oliver. Like <laughs> She was like not supposed to tell him. I know. That was like the one thing she was supposed to not say. But he's so disgusted by this and is like calling her like a degenerate and that there's something wrong with her. And then he's basically like, you know what? To fuck you over, I'm never going to divorce you. So you can never be with him. To spite you. Yeah. I'll never seek a divorce. Yeah. And a similar scene plays out in the film, too. I had one issue with this scene in the film. I Mm -hmm. think both actors give great performances. Yeah. But on two occasions, when Clifford is talking at length about how he's going to, like, screw her over or, like, you know, at one point he's even, like, Please don't do this. Like, I can be the man you want me to be. Like, yeah. I, or I, I only ever loved you the way I knew how. Mm-hmm. For some reason, the camera only ever focuses on Connie. Yeah. Like, it just holds on her during his entire monologue. Mm-hmm. And it felt weird. And I couldn't figure out why. Yeah. This creative choice was taken because, I mean, the guy playing Clifford is really good. No, he's great. And like, especially those are some of his most emotional moments. And I don't like I think it humanizes him a lot Mm -hmm. in a way. Like I when he said, I only loved you the only way I knew how, like, I think he's being sincere. Yeah. And it's like kind of sad to a degree. Yeah. And but it feels like it's trying to remove you emotionally from him Mm -hmm. by not showing you his face at all. Yeah. But that just feels like a weird, strange choice. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, yeah, he's a piece of shit. But like, also, he's been through a lot, too. Yeah. And like, I think he's a complicated character, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. And it feels weird to do this to him. Yeah. And so they part and this is kind of their parting. Right. It's very sad. And then we have a scene in the movie where she talks with Mrs. Bolton and is like, please let me know if you hear from Oliver or if anyone hears from him. You can tell the people in the village that I love him. Which is yeah. Which is not is not in the book. She's literally like, "Don't tell anyone about this, Mrs. Bolton." In the book, <laughs> I was never here. And Mrs. Bolton has this scene later where like the women of the village are like gossiping about it, and she's like, "Yes, she said that she loves him, and she gave it all up for him, and it's a love story, and I won't hear a word about them." And I'm like, "All right, this is a little over the." And top. then it's like word spread across the country of a yeah. lady who chose love over status, I was and like what? I'm, 
And and then somehow word gets back to Oliver, and I'm like, this is yeah. really hokey. Yeah. I I mean, I like Mrs. Bolton being on her side and even defending her to, like, the other. Mm-hmm. But it takes that, like, way too far. It does. Unfortunately, there's some book stuff with Mrs. Bolton that we just need to talk about real quick. Yeah. She starts having sex with Clifford? No, it's not sex. Okay. It's described as a very, like, creepy, perverted relationship where he acts like a baby. It's, like, maternal. Around her, he, like, specifically acts like a baby. And it's described that he touches her breasts. Yes. And acts like kind of a baby about like it. Like, she's comforting him yeah. and he's, like, helpless. And yeah. I There's one line about, like, once that love evolved or like went there there was one line that alluded to maybe they had sex and maybe I'm like reading into it incorrectly but like there was one line where I thought maybe that was the implication I don't think so I could be wrong yeah uh but either way it's still really kind of weird and I'm like what why would you do this I don't know (laughs) like probably because the author sees that as being like the ultimate like shitty ending for a male character is like he's reduced to being a baby all masculinity and authority has been taken from him yeah i I don't know it's not great i don't love this for clifford's character no i mean in some ways he was one-dimensional like he seemed more complicated at the beginning yeah because like despite his injury Connie talks about how he wasn't really brought down by it at first, like emotionally, like he still seemed rather upbeat. Mm -hmm. He seemed to be dealing with it well enough. Yeah. And I liked that. It was kind of a subversion of what I was expecting from the story. And it gives you some amount of respect for him, right? Mm -hmm. But then as the story goes, he just gets worse and worse. And I mean, that could just be the point of it. Yeah. That like he's just a shitty person. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I thought he was a little more complicated than that and deserved a better ending than this. For sure. Yeah. The way that the movie and the book end is with this letter that Oliver sends to Connie where he is working on a farm and is trying to get set up so that when the six months are over, they can be together. And that's very clear in the letter that he writes her in the book that it's like this six-month period of time that they have to be apart. Yeah. In the movie, it's more like, you can come, like, come to me now. And the movie actually has her going back to Venice for a while while she's pregnant. Yeah, I mean, the movie implies that, like, quite a bit of time passes because mm-hmm. she gets a haircut. Yes. Totally not prompted by a major life <laughs> crisis. <laughs> and then, you know, her pregnancy continues, and then she goes back to London, and it seems like, but judging by the length of her hair and her pregnancy, that, like, more time has passed. Yeah. So by the time she gets her letter, I would estimate, like, probably six months has passed. Yeah. And so she goes out to... He's in Scotland. Scotland, yeah. In the movie. In the book, he's not. Yeah, she goes out. She, like, tracks down his, like, stone Mm -hmm. cottage in a field. And I am mixed about the visuals of the sending. She's, like, looking for him. Yeah. And then you see him, like, round a corner behind her, like, out of focus. Yeah. And he kind of, like... Sneaks up behind her. Sneaks up behind her. And it's funny because it almost seems creepy. Yeah. And then he kind of, like, grabs her from behind and she kind of, like... Gives a little gasp. Yeah. And the movie cuts to black. And I was like, I kind of like that for a final moment. Yeah. And then for some reason, it fades back in. Yeah. To them kissing. (laughs) And then it fades back out to black. I know. I'm like, what? Well, I I just, 
end it there when yeah. he comes up behind her. Like, you already cut to black. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the movie. I know. It was a weird, once again, just a weird little creative choice. Strange. Uh, the book, though, it just ends with this letter where he's writing to her. And they still have, like, six months of separation ahead of them. Yeah. And so we really don't know what happens to them at the end of this time. Yeah, I mean, what's Connie's situation with Clifford and, like, yeah. the refusal to get divorced? Mm-hmm. And I I kind of liked the uncertainty in the ending of the book. Yeah. Kind of like, will things work out? Almost how could they? Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just because I hated almost every character in this book. <laughs> and so that was probably the happiest ending that I could accept was like one of uncertainty. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's the question, right? Is the book or the movie better? Why don't you start us off, Adina? I sure, often start. Sure. Um, you know what? I think it's going to be the movie. Yeah. Because I think this book is does have its place in history, mm-hmm. right? Because of the censorship, because of how groundbreaking it was at the time. But you know what? It's totally valid to be like, it was groundbreaking for the time. And you know what? Now it's not really that groundbreaking. Yeah. Like it's kind of, it can be really restrictive and it can be really sexist and it can be really racist and homophobic in certain parts. And like, we're better than that now. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, there are a lot of really great themes, but it's just so much all at once. It feels very unfocused. Yeah. You know, I don't think it ever really makes the connection between the sex and like the classism as themes, right? Like Mm -hmm. they felt kind of still disconnected for me, like throughout the story. Yeah. I think the movie does a good job of kind of distilling its main themes. Like even though... You know, those two ideas don't fully come together in the film either. And I'm naturally just more of a visual person. But for me, like the whole nature idea and Mm -hmm. relating that to the sex, like really came through so strongly in the film. Whereas in the book, I almost didn't notice it because there's just so much talking Talking. all the time (laughs) about like totally random bullshit. Yeah. So like I think the film landed some of the themes better for me. It filters out a lot. Yeah, and also just obviously updates the characters and, like, eliminates a lot of the aspects of them that have not aged well. I honestly felt like Oliver was kind of a mean person in the book, and I didn't really like him that much. Yeah. Like, he was always being, like, kind of, um aloof to Connie sometimes when she clearly needed him to be tender and kind to her. And he would just kind of treat her badly. Sometimes he was mean to her sister. Yeah. He was mean to her artist friend who was going to say that he was having her, like it was his kid. Yeah. And he was just so rude to him. And I was like, why are you just like, you're acting like you're above everyone for no reason. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I, it's just like, I guess his sexual liberation that she's attracted to, but there's so much that's so bad with him. Yeah. And like, I'm like, is he really better than Clifford? I know. Like in the film, he doesn't have a lot going for him, despite him being like giving her that sexual freedom. Yeah. But he doesn't have a bunch of negatives stacked against him. Yeah. In that, it's kind of just like, yeah, you can be who you want to be. I'll be who I want to be. And we're f- really right for each other. And like, yeah. that's all I need, right? Yeah. That's all I need from the film. And that's good and fine. The mm-hmm. movie is like, or the book is like, yeah, that, but also he's kind of a racist and he <laughs> talks about maybe men should be able to murder women yeah. and also some really racist shit. And yeah. uh, also he hits his child and his <laughs> wife. And, but y- yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, it is disappointing because I, 
when I started reading this book, I, I kind of thought, you know, there aren't many, well, I should say, I haven't read many books that are about sex. Yeah. Right? Sex is always an element or oftentimes is an element in stories. Like, usually it's the the climax to a love story, right? Like, oh, the couple finally has sex at the end, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But there aren't many stories that talk about sex as an act on its own. Yeah. And how it relates to love. And mm-hmm. can it be separate from love? Yeah. Or can love exist without it, right? And I think those are really interesting topics. And it's interesting to talk about sex very specifically and on its own, right? Yeah. And to just kind of be unfiltered about it. Like, I like that as an idea. Mm-hmm. And I wish this book can maybe just... Maybe, like, a modern version of it would do better. Yeah. But I wish it just talked about those themes more clearly and concisely. And it just felt like the book, while it was interested in talking about sex, it was also very specific in passing judgment on sex. Yes. Even though it was very much like, oh, like, anal, like, we're getting crazy. You know, it it seems progressive. Actually, I felt like it was restrictive, right? I know. Because it was like, oh, this type of sex is not good. This type of sex is unmanly. This type of sex, you're dead inside. Like, it, it was passing all these judgments about not just the act itself, but the people who did them, yes. you know? And I don't like that. And that goes into what you said about, like, yeah, it was important for its time and place in history. Yeah. Even, like, 40 or 30 years later during kind of the sexual revolution of, like, the 60s, yeah. right? Uh, but by modern standards, I mean, we are so far beyond just, like, this kind of heteronormative view of, like, yeah. sexual liberation that... Uh, yeah, I would, if anyone has any, like, recommendations of other books that maybe tackle similar subject matter, but for more of a modern perspective, I'd love to know about them. Yeah. Because that would be interesting. It would be, yeah. So I think because the movie is a little more concise with its themes, and it filters out a lot of the nonsense, and also, like, the constant talking and theorizing, I'm gonna have to go with the movie. Yeah, the movie, ultimately, the performances. I like the music a lot. I didn't mention the music. Yeah. I thought the music was really unique and the cinematography for the most part. It has a very, like, blue tone thing going on, mm-hmm. which is interesting. It also, even though it's a period piece, kind of does a lot of, like, handheld camera work, like, wide angle lens mm-hmm. that feels, I don't know, modern in an interesting way, almost like documentary feeling. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of interesting creative choices with it that, for me, worked for the most part. There's very little about this movie. Like, maybe... The end. Yeah, but, like, a lot of that goes just back to the source material, right? Like, I kind of think it made a lot of it work surprisingly well, despite the limitations of the book. So it's for sure a film for me, too. Okay, so it's a movie (laughs) for both of us. Let's do lightning round. Let's do lightning. So first for lightning round, I just want to read you. So this is the letter that um, Oliver is writing to Connie in the book. So this is the ending of the story. He's writing her this whole letter where he's like talking about how the industrial worker is like not living his true life. And if only they would listen to me and like really live their life, they would be happy. He's going off. And then he's finally like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about us again. And he says, uh, so I believe in the little flame between us. For me now, it's the only thing in the world. I've got no friends, not inward friends, only you. And now the little flame is all I care about in my life. There's the baby, but that's a side issue. It's my Pentecost, the forked flame between me and you. The old Pentecost isn't quite right. 
Me and God is a bit uppish somehow, but the little forked flame between me and you, there you are. That's what I abide by and will abide by. Clifford's and Bertha's, colliery companies and governments, and the money mass of people all nonwithstanding. And I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. And he says, and if you're in Scotland and I'm in the Midlands and I can't put my arms around you and wrap my legs around you, yet I've got something of you. My soul softly flaps in the little Pentecostal flame with you, like the piece of fucking. We fucked a flame into being. Even the flowers are fucked into being between the sun and the earth. But it's a delicate thing and takes patience and the long pause. <laughs> we fucked a flame into being. Fucked a flame. <laughs> how how poetic and crass at the same time. Yes. Very, very, very this book. Yes. Honestly. <laughs> Speaking of which, there is... A portion of this book uh, where he just starts talking about her ass and how she has the best ass of any woman he's ever met. And I'm going to read that. Uh, he it's written in what is it vernacular? Yeah. So it's like it's going to sound like I'm trying to do an accent and I'm not and You're just reading and it. I might abandon it. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. But he's just looking at her ass and he says, that's got such a nice tail on thee, he said in the throaty, caressive dialect. That's got such a nicest arse of anybody. It's the nicest, nicest woman's arse as is. And every bit of it is a woman. Woman sure as nuts. That's not one of them buttoned arsed losses as should be lads as ter. That's got a real soft sloping bottom as thee, as a man loves as its guts. It's a bottom as could hold the world up, it is. All the while he spoke, he exquisitely stroked the rounded tail, till it seemed as if slippery and sort of a fire came from it into his hands, and his fingertips touched the two secret openings to her body, time after time, with a soft little brush of fire. And if that shits and if that pisses, I'm glad. I don't want a woman that couldn't shit nor piss. <laughs> Connie couldn't help a sudden snort of astonished laughter, but he went on unmoved. Thart a real... <laughs> Thart real art. Thart real even a bit of a bitch. Here that shits and here that pisses, and I lay my hand on them both, like thee for it. I like thee for it. That's got a proper woman's arse. Proud of itself. It's none ashamed of itself. This is not. <laughs> what am I saying at this point? Uh, I'll, I'll stop there, but oh my what a, god. What a great job you did on that. <laughs> Thank you. A for effort. Oh my god. When I read that part about like. It could hold the world up. All I could think of was fat bottom girls. They make the rocking world go round. <laughs> well, it's like, imagine like an Atlas statue that holds the world, but it's, it's just, just his a butt. woman with a, like a butt sticking yeah. out. <laughs> when he starts talking about her shitting and pissing, and I'm I like, know, what are you? <laughs> I mean, the part that saves it is that she kind of like laughs as he's yeah. saying it. So yeah. like, it's, I think, meant to be like a little silly, kind of silly and like overly crude to the point of comedy. <laughs> but oh, my God. Well, that wraps up our lightning round <laughs> and this episode. Hopefully you found this interesting. Hopefully, it was... <laughs> hopefully you held on this long. <laughs> it was a very different type of adaptation, and I'm really glad we got to talk about it. I mean, the themes were so thoughtful and thought-provoking and, and interesting. And Yeah, I mean, it's certainly unlike probably anything we've read on the podcast before. And, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
got us to talk about a lot of topics we certainly haven't <laughs> talked about before. So, uh, so there it is. There it is. Uh, if you liked this episode and want to support the podcast, please consider becoming a pat- patron on Patreon. Yeah, our patrons get access to bonus episodes every month. This month, we'll be coming out with an episode on You've Got Mail and the Shop Around the Corner, sort of like a romantic-themed month's episode. Yes, to, uh, you know, You've Got Mail was loosely based on that mm-hmm. 19... 40s. 40s uh, film, so there's an interesting correlation there. Mm -hmm. Uh, You also get monthly schedules if you're a Patreon member, as well as access to our Discord, where we have a lot of conversations with listeners. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you can't become a patron, please consider leaving us a positive uh, Spotify rating or Apple Podcasts rating or any Mm -hmm. platform you listen on that allows for ratings or reviews. It's really appreciated and helps us out a lot. Yeah, you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find all of those links at CoverToCredits.com. Yeah, we love hearing from listeners, even if it's thoughts on an episode, suggestions, or you just want to say hi and tell us where you're from. We love <laughs> we love all messages. Yes. So thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.